love riding my bike. I love running. I don't care what they think about it. I love it. At that point, when I knew I was going to win, chills just went up and down my entire body. I don't believe there are any good or bad foods. Food is food. I still feel so passionate about getting that record that I'm like, I'm just going to do it. As an athlete, I was like, what's my story or what's your story? What can you learn from it? And what can you teach people? Welcome to the Iron Women podcast. I'm Alyssa Gadeski, and I'm here with my co-host, Haley Chura. And I sound like bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, mostly because this is, we are recording uh, not the week that you are listening to this. Um, Haley, we're, we're pulling a fast one on our listeners this week because we're um, giving, I think, I feel like we're giving me a little bit of a break coming off of a 36 hour adventure race. And so if you go back and listen to last week's episode, you'll hear me talk about this a little bit. I was going into race the two rivers adventure race. Um, and it was 36 hours of racing, which would put me back home on very little sleep around our recording time. Um, and that probably wasn't going to be a great, uh, like recipe for success for podcasting or, or maybe it would have been the best recipe who knows, but, um, we are, we have a special treat for you guys still today and we wanted to make this episode happen, but, um, Haley, I'm not going to ask you what happened in the week because unless you're turning into like a fortune teller, you're not really going to be able to tell me. I, I've been studying quantum physics. I jumped in the black <laughs> hole. I know exactly what happened. It's a fantastic week. And oh my God, Alyssa, your race went great. That's and what I can tell you. Bozeman, right? no, like, no, no. <laughs> it is sunny in seventies in Bozeman, but, um, yes, we are, we are doing a little bit of a pre-record here, but we have all new content for you. So it's still, still great, great information. Even if it's like a few days older than you're used to. And, um, and if you have to sit on like pins and needles waiting, if you haven't been dot watching Alyssa in her adventure race, you can, uh, we have to wait one more week to hear about it, but I think it'll be better. It'd be better to hear like fresh Alyssa talk about her adventure race than 36 plus hours sleep deri- deprived Alyssa talk about adventure race. Cause I feel like I know how that would go. It would just be like, it was fine. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, we paddled. I got hit in the head with a paddle and we rapid. And helmets are fantastic. We, um, we didn't get beached. No, I think it's, I'm excited to hear about how it goes, but I'm, I'm, I mean, when this airs, it will be like, you'll be just coming off of, uh, of that race. So, so fun things, fun things happening. And Haley, we do have, we have a new mailbag actually though, to talk about because it sets us up for, uh, what we're going to, to release today. And so, this mailbag we talked about a few weeks ago, actually. This was like the second half of a mailbag that came in from Andrea. And just a reminder, you can send mailbag questions into ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com. And this was a great question. Um, she she put it as a PS, but it's actually, it probably could have deserved even its own email, Haley, I have to say. So um, she was interested if we can talk a little bit about defining and handling failure. Um, from her perspective, she says, it seems like whatever we take on from Olympic standards to FKTs, we're conquering that. And do we just not share failures with our listeners or have we shifted our definition of failure over the years? And as we head into another season of Ironman competitions, what does failure mean? If anything, good question. Heavy, heavy question. Yeah. Um, Who's going first? You or me? Mm, You can start this one. Well, I think it's interesting. I think I am definitely loudest about, I guess, quote unquote successes. So 
Um, you know, that's the, those are the things that I post the most about on social media. And when she brings up the Olympic trials, qualifying time in the marathon, yes, I did. I did definitely qualify for the Olympic trials. Like that was the goal I set out to run, you know, under a 245 marathon. And then I did do that. But I mean, I don't know, like, it's also, it's, it is interesting. Um, my race at the Olympic marathon trials, what I finished 305th or 304th. I don't even remember. And top three made the Olympic team. So, I mean, would we call that a failure? I mean, maybe like if my goal had been to make the Olympic team, like Alephine Tuliamuk would definitely call that a failure. But for me on that day, I didn't really, I mean, I felt it wasn't a best time. It wasn't, it wasn't even a particularly great feeling race. It was hard. Um, but I got to be there. And so I think, um, it is a lot of it is framing. I can also think to my most recent race in St. George where I finished 13th and I didn't necessarily set out to finish 13th in that race. I mean, I'm, I wasn't like, yes, I want to, I want to make $0 um, <laughs> because they only paid a 10th. Um, but part of what I was going for in that race was, um, were the side effects of a failure like that. I got, I got some fitness from the training and the racing leading into that race. Um, and during the race, cause I do think you get some fitness from racing and, um, fitness is always nice. You know, it's nice to be healthy and fit enough to travel 70.3 miles under my own power. Um, I got a trip out of Bozeman, which I hadn't done in a very long time. Um, I, I got to get on a start line. You know, I got to stand right behind Daniela Reef. <laughs> what is that? Is anyone say that I'm failing if I'm in that position? Um, I got to lead the swim and I, I got my name said on the Ironman now coverage. Um, so, you know, like those to me are all pretty successful, even though they didn't necessarily increase my bank account. So I do think that it's, it's how you frame things and, um, and this is a good question because, you know, our interview this week, we, we do touch on, on setting goals and the risk of failure. So we will hear from other experts later in the show, but Alyssa, now I'm, I'm interested to hear your take on this. No, I agree with the things that you've said. And I think that framing it is really important. And I think for me, it's just like, when I look at a career in sport, I look at the fact that like, you're, you're literally set up. I mean, 99% of the people are set up to fail, right. By like this black and white definition of success and failure. Um, you know, there's, especially in the sport that we do, there's one person winning every race, <laughs> you know? Um, and there's a lot more people on that start line. So, you know, you, you can't, well, you can, but I found that for me, it's best to like, you know, I, I, I don't think I ever do like this download every day or really that often of like, okay, what was a success and failure? Like even workout by workout, I'm looking at things of like, did I give the best that I could to meet the demands of the workout? Yes. Like, and then I'm not like, oh man, like seeing it as a failure if I didn't meet the like wattage I was trying to like that my coach Hillary had said for, for me to meet on the bike or something like that. Like, right. If I didn't do it, it's like, okay, I didn't do it, but it's like, so yes, technically I failed, but you know, sport and like growing as an athlete is about failure. Like I know that Hillary doesn't expect me to nail every workout. And to be quite honest, like training isn't set up so that I am 
really successful at every single workout I'm doing, right? It's just kind of like this endless process of seeing what you succeed at and what you fail at. And then kind of, you know, balancing things within that. So hopefully that, you know, you are getting fitter within, within things and you race to the best of your ability on race day. Right. So I guess, you know, I agree that I probably don't like, yeah, shout from the rooftops if I'm failing, but if you ask me, I could give you a list of a hundred things I fail out, but I'm just kind of like, well, like, yeah, they were all failures. Like, oops, like, you know, like I'm trying to do better. Like, you know, what do you, of course I'm trying to do better. I'm getting up every day and I'm still training. I'm still a professional athlete. Like that's what I want to do. Right. And I can't let that like weigh heavy on me. Um, and I definitely don't want my failures like weighing heavy on the world. Right. Because I think, you know, I, I saw this question and I thought about, um, kind of a rule that we have when we do training camps. Um, And, you know, one of the things that Hillary talks to people about before the camp, like in our first meeting with all the campers and things like that is um, that attitudes are contagious. And like, you know, even if you're seeing your current situation as a failure or something that's not good, right? Like you keep it to yourself and because those kind of that energy like spreads. And so I just don't think it's important for people to, um, yeah, like get that, those feelings from me. Like I want them to be aware of my career and to know that I've set these goals and I'm trying to meet them, but, um, I don't want like, yeah, I don't, it's not something that my identity is like necessarily tied to in that like pass fail sense or failure success kind of sense. So, um, my identity remains something I'm happy about, you know, regardless of the outcomes of races and things like that. So that's what I hope I'm conveying with the podcast and with my social media and stuff like that. So that was a long winded roundabout way, but hopefully I had some, some good tidbits in there. There's some nuggets. Definitely. I would say, I think that's interesting about the contagiousness of the, of of attitudes, because I would say like, I, I, in a professional setting, which I think is what we see, like the podcast and probably like social media is more of a professional setting. Um, you know, it feels that way. And I do think that I feel like a failure all the time, like plenty of times. And I do, I will say, I'm very thankful that I have a good group of friends and, um, my mom, you know, and just some people that I can say that to where I can say like, you know, my goal was to get top 10 and I didn't like, I feel like a failure. And then they can kind of take a bigger, wider picture look and help me see those positive side effects. And so I think that that helps. And if you don't necessarily have that group, I don't think, you know, you have to have that, but I think sometimes it's helpful to sort of, sort of like flip it so that, you know, if, if this was your friend, if this situation happened to a friend of yours, like what advice would you give them? Because we are often, much kinder to other people than we are to ourselves. And I'm like, would I, you know, if Alyssa got 13th at St. George, would I be like, Alyssa, you're a failure? (laughs) No. (laughs) Would I come on to the podcast and be like, oh, I can't believe it, you know? And so I, you know, I'm not going to say that to myself either. I'm going to stop saying it to myself. Yeah. And it's not like, I mean, again, if I got 13th of St. George, I would be quite happy. But, um, you know, and it it would also be another thing if, like, I got 20th at St. George and I was, like, you know, 
down on my luck. I like threw something happened to my bike and then I threw my bike into the desert sand. And then I like stomped on things. And I was a really poor sport. And then I got to my running shoes and I like threw my running shoes and I was like not thanking volunteers. And I was throwing, I was stealing cups from people. Like, you know, that would be like a failure to just be like a massive poor sport and not like, you know, but it's like, if you're out there, Trying that your best, might be like, um, a viral sensation, I, actually. <laughs> you might make some money off of that. <laughs> but then you have permission to be like, Alyssa, that is a massive failure of a day, like in all senses. Yeah. Like there, there's not a single win there, right? <laughs> but so um, <laughs> I don't know. But Andrea, thank you for your question. I hope we we gave you some insight into our perspectives there. And again, we we do touch on this topic a little bit in um, what we bring you next. And so hopefully you can find some more to take away in there. Yes. And next is is a really, we, well, a few weeks ago, you probably remember us talking about the Level Up Summit and Alyssa and I hosted a panel there on the future of women's triathlon. And we thought the panel went so well that we asked um, our panelists if it was okay if we released our conversation as a podcast episode. They enthusiastically said yes. So here it is. Um, You know, this this panel, the Level Up Summit was a, a feature of the Feisty team. And so if anyone wants to see the video related to this, you can join the Feisty team and all the other great presenters that happened during the Level Up Summit. And um, join the Feisty team. You go to feistytriathlon.com. It's a you know it's a fun online community that gets you access to people to chat with as well as events like this one. But the panel that Alyssa and I hosted, it was, um, like I said, the future of women's triathlon was the focus. And it featured Kelly O'Mara, who's the editor-in-chief at Triathlete Magazine. She's also a professional triathlete. Sika Henry, who's the first African-American woman pro triathlete. And Eva Solomon, who's the founder and CEO of Epic Races, which is a multi-sport company based out of Ann Arbor, Michigan. So we had sort of the, the media, the athlete, and the race director perspective, all giving us some insight into what they think might be happening in the future of women's triathlons. The Iron Women podcast is grateful to Zelio Skincare for their continued support of the podcast. I'm always excited when I start pulling out the Zelio sun barrier more and more because that's a sure sign races are around the corner. And I'm going to be happier than ever using my Zelio's Race Relief Cold Therapy Muscle Gel because it means I actually got to do an in-person race this year. You can get your own Zilio Sun Barrier Race Relief Shower Products and Chamois Cream for 15% off with the code IRONWOMEN at teamzilios.com. Alyssa, long time no talk. I know. <laughs> it's been like a few days. I know. Um, we don't usually go this long. I'm excited to <laughs> chat with you again, and I'm excited to have our excellent panelists here. Yeah. I know uh, Jamila and uh, and Ellen gave a quick introduction, but just to remind everyone, we have Kelly O'Mara, Editor-in-Chief and Pro of Triathlete Magazine and Professional Triathlete. And Kelly, I think you're joining from Boulder, Colorado. Is that right? Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> <Yes>. No. <laughs> it feels that way sometimes. But Sika Henry, you are not in Boulder. Where are you, Sika? Newport News, Virginia. There we go. And Sika is the first African-American woman pro triathlete. She just earned her pro card at Challenge Cancun a few weeks ago. And I believe she just announced that she'll be starting her first pro race at Red Free Williamsburg in a few weeks. So congratulations, Mm -hmm. Sika. I'm excited to see you. Thank you. And of course, 
Yeah. And then Eva Solomon, I believe you're in Michigan, right? Ann Arbor. Is that well, correct? Well, I, I am normally located in Ann Arbor, Michigan. I will be back there on Saturday. I happen to be right now in Delray Beach, Florida. Oh, nice. Getting nice. some vitamin D. We, we, we can yeah. uh, enjoy yeah. that. But uh, Eva is the founder and CEO of Epic Races. You produce 20 multi-sport events every year, including the Goddess Racing Series. So we're excited to hear more from all three of you. I'm going to hand the mic, the virtual mic over to Alyssa Gadeski in New Hampshire. I'm in Montana. This is a very, like, we're covering a lot of the U.S. through this conversation, which is always fun. All right. Thanks, Haley. So we're going to dive right into questions because we have a lot to ask you ladies and we don't have a ton of time. So we're going to get right into it. And here's some of your, we're excited to hear your perspectives on the future and kind of how things are shaping up for the feisty triathlon life that's ahead of all of us in the coming year. So Kelly, um, I want to talk to you first. So you are the editor in chief of triathlete magazine. How many times can we, can we tell you that tonight? <laughs> um, and previously that was owned by pocket media now outside and triathlete falls under their like endurance category, along with a bunch of other brands we're familiar with, such as women's running, Velo News, the new mountain bike brand, Beta. And this pandemic definitely shifted endurance and endurance sports in a way that athletes were forced to like look beyond races, right? Because no races were really happening, create their own, look at other sports to do. And a lot of people were expanding their horizons in the realm of endurance sport. So I'm curious if there is work being done with those other magazine brands to like cross collaborate now and be able to kind of find those pockets of people who were like where that intersection is. I was going to make a joke about Peloton users, but then I realized that Peloton magazine, luckily I looked it up. Like we own that like too, actually yeah. like yeah. real bikes outside. <laughs> I had like a spinning joke, but I can't use that because I quickly looked it up and it's, it's about like actual tour de France type of Peloton. Yes. So anyway, can you tell us about like, is that work being done? What kind of insight you have to that? Yeah, uh, I mean, I could give like a whole ad right now for like why you should join our membership. Um, but yeah, there was definitely a boom last year. We saw all the stats say there was a ton of people who picked up running and a ton of people who picked up biking. I mean, you can't like buy a bike right now. Like everything is out of stock. It's just sort of how it is. Um, and so I've talked a lot to USAT too about getting those people now into a race. Um, we're like running ads in our running publications about how to become a triathlete if you're already a runner. You know what I mean? Like we're trying to like run stories and, and that kind of thing and reach out to their audience. Certainly there's, and I'm sure everyone will appreciate this. They're very different audiences, right? Like everyone has their own little niche and like once their little niche and, and, you know, maybe like people who like women's running are not the same as people who like Vailo News and they feel very strongly about that. Cause like triathletes, we feel very strongly about our stuff too. And that's fine. Um, but for sure, we've been doing a ton of like trying to figure out if you can bring all those people who picked up stuff into our sport. Um, I think what will be really interesting, one of the issues is all the big things are sold out for the year already, right? Because everybody deferred races from last year. So if you're going to pick up a sport, pick it up this year, you're going to have to start local and like grassroots. Like you're going to have to do like your local try, which is fine. Like that's how everyone starts you're not going to be able to get into an Ironman this year. Like not like just not really like that's not going to happen. So we also have to combine this push to get new people in into a push to get them into local things into grassroots things into Xterra. Like we can't be telling them like, go sign up for 70.3. Cause like there aren't any, like they're all sold out. Um, so I think that like, it'll be really interesting to see kind of how that plays out. Um, and maybe that's better because it's like, 
getting people to a local event, I feel like you'll have less of the like major personalities, right? Where people think like, I'm not a triathlete, you know? So like they might find that it's a little bit more low key and a little bit more of like what they would want to be at a local event, right? Before they're like really stepping into the, the major triathlete kind yeah. of scenes, I guess. So that's good. I mean, even the local, I mean, our local event here, I had to pull a like, hey, I'm the editor in chief to let me in because it's totally <laughs> sold out. So I mean, everything, it's, it's definitely like, there's definitely a boom happening. So we'll see. And Eva, from the race director perspective, have you noticed a shift in athlete interest into a different mix of multi-sport endurance events? Um, there, there has really not so much been a shift. It's just been such a different year for people registering. Um, you know, after a year of the huge shift to everything virtual and just doing that, and then now all of a sudden, okay, races are live. I'm really surprised how many people are asking if they still can do a virtual option. So pretty surprised that people have caught on to that and are actually looking for it because frankly, I was really happy to not be sending out packages for a while, but um, that's going on. But then we have a lot of people who have found fitness during COVID and are thinking, okay, now they're going to put that to the test and see if they can participate in a race. So lots of questions. Every year we do get, you know, a fair amount of newbies. What do I wear? Where's the changing rooms? You know, things like that. Do I really need a wetsuit? We're getting more of that. People who just signed up because they realized maybe they can and they just have um, a lot of questions. They're super excited. And um, everyone who had a year off of racing is just really excited to get back at it. I mean, we, in Michigan, open water swim season usually starts kind of mid to late May, but there were plenty of people wanting to get in there, um, 60 degree temperature, even like high fifties and not for me, but people were doing it. And Sika, as an athlete, we saw you enter the ultra running world during the pandemic with a do-it-yourself home 50K, as well as your work as a pacer in the Hoka Project Carbon X2. And I think it was during a post-race interview with Iron Women podcast that <laughs> we asked if you plan to run more road ultras and you replied, hell no. Um, so do any other multi-sport options such as gravel racing, swim run, that kind of thing interest you at all for the future? Yes, I'm actually getting a gravel bike next month um, just to work on my bike handling skills and switch it up. And um, usually I'm always out on the road on my TT. So yeah, I definitely like to get in some gravel rides. I don't know about racing. We'll see. Um, I don't have the best track record when it comes to bikes and staying upright. Um, but yeah, and I wouldn't mind trying a swim run. Um, but yeah, and it's funny that I said that I was done with ultra running because I signed up for the JFK 50, so. <laughs> we love it. Yeah. Spoken like a true endurance athlete. Sika, several years ago, you did you huge public goal, right? You said you wanted to become the first Afri African-American women woman professional triathlete. As we mentioned during the introduction, you accomplished that goal a few weeks ago when you earned your elite license with your second place age group finish at Challenge Cancun, and you've announced that you'll be right racing in Rev3 Williamsburg next month. So making a goal that is so big and so public seems really scary. So, and you, you've you kind of alluded, you had some moments like your bike crash in 2019 when it probably seemed like you 
accomplish that goal. So a lot of us, we, we might not have your platform, but we have our own communities on social media, in a training group, or even on the feisty team. So would you encourage women to make their goals maybe in sport or in life public, even if those goals seem really, really big? Yeah, it's actually been wonderful how many women have messaged me privately um, through Instagram saying, actually a few women at St. George saying, I'm kind of on the cusp. I've been coming in top 10. I'm too afraid to say out loud that I want to get my pro card. Like what made you decide to put that out there publicly? And for me, it's, I'm not even really a loud person, but I always believe in just speaking things into existence, whether it sounds crazy or not. Um, I know so many people gave like Gwen Jorgensen flack for saying that she wanted to win Olympic gold in the marathon. And I was like, hell yeah, girl. I mean, what's wrong with saying that, that if that's how you feel, why not just say it out loud? And, and if you don't reach that goal, like for me, I wasn't sure if it was ever going to happen anyway still so many great things came from it. Um, me trying to reach that goal. And it was like, and if that happened, that would be even better. So yeah, I think sometimes when you do put it out there, you find that you're, um, you're holding yourself a lot more accountable and you can't just quit. So yeah, I mean, I'd suggest it. Try it once. I mean, what's the worst that can happen besides, you know, you not necessarily failing, but it just doesn't happen. And Kelly, at Triathlete Magazine, you covered Sika's journey to oh, yeah. become the first African-American woman pro triathlete. And you even named her one of the 2020s multi-sport movers and shakers. So from the storytelling side, do you think the pursuit of a big goal makes for a great story even before that goal is accomplished? Oh, for sure. I actually know Sika. Do you know how many people email me asking me if I've heard Sika's story and trying to pitch? <laughs> and I'm like, we've done it. I know her. So... <laughs> I told them we were gonna we're gonna cover your first race. It'll be great. Oh no! <laughs> no, now I don't want attention on my first pro race at all because I'm gonna be starting at the bottom. I'm gonna get demolished. I'm gonna be last out of the water. But whatever. <laughs> whatever. Um, for sure, for sure. I think when people do have a big goal, um, we you know we wrote about uh, Sam Holness recently who's like trying to be the first autistic pro. And, you know, like she just said, like, I don't know if he's going to be able to achieve it or not. Like he's kind of on the cusp. He hasn't had a been races, but that, that is a goal. I mean, I also get a lot of emails from 50 year old white guys telling me that they're going to be the next great, whatever. And, and they're just making it up. I think when it, when it is like Sika, I knew she could do it. Right. Like Sam, I think he definitely is possible. I think when there's a goal that is big and maybe you don't achieve it, maybe you do, but we can follow along with your story. We can follow along with the ups and downs. It's great. And Eva, we mentioned Sika's first, but you've also accomplished several firsts. As a race director, you've produced the first women's triathlon in Michigan and the first ever gravel triathlon in the United States. So when you're trying to be the first at something, I imagine people tell you it can't be done. So was that ex your experience? And if yes, how did you keep going and make it happen? That is a great question. Um, yeah, I, it's happened a lot that people are telling me things can't be done. Um, gravel triathlon, which I heard that Sika is getting a gravel bike and um, we've got a good gravel triathlon coming up. But um, yeah, when that was an idea, people were like, no, you know, that, that's, that's not how you do it. That's not triathlon. Triathlon is on road or, you know, sometimes on trail, but not gravel. And we did it. And 
not only did people come, but we had a fair amount of cyclists who said they would never do a triathlon who came in and did it because it was intriguing. You know, gravel cycling, as we all know, is um, just exploding. And when they saw that something they love doing can be part of the tri, they came in, they did it. Um, with the the first women's triathlon, um, that was my first triathlon I put on. And frankly, I felt like I couldn't do it. <laughs> I had put on races, running races, um, quite a few. But triathlon seemed daunting. I had participated in many, but it just seemed like a lot. But, um, but we did it and um, we fill up every year, the Tri Goddess Tri. And it's, um, I'm just so excited to be having it live coming up soon on June 27th after having a year without it. It's just, it's near and dear to my heart. It's the first one we ever put on. And again, the first women's Tri in Michigan. And um, it's just really special. And um, yeah, it's, it's something that, you know, when, when you think you can't do it and you do it, you just never forget about it. And Eva, we talked about this a little bit before, but obviously last year was a crazy year for race directors. And there was a lot of pivoting that had to take place, making races virtual, having to cancel some altogether. And kind of like you said, they're starting to happen again in person. But 2021 still looks like racing is going to look a little bit different, at least than what we've known in the past. Right. So there still could be masks, limited crowds even potentially requiring proof of vaccine, which we're hearing now, things like that. So can you talk to us a little bit about navigating those decisions, what it's like working with the locality that you're in for them and kind of how that balances between everything? Yeah, it's um, it, it's a really um, tricky situation and becoming trickier than I ever really imagined. Um, you know, we last year, um, you know, of course, at this time last year, we all thought, oh, a few weeks, you know, we will postpone, maybe July, maybe August, you know, we just, and then eventually, yeah, we were just done, but um, we, we, everything switched to virtual or it was postponed, and I think we ended up having virtual pretty much for everything. This year, we really didn't know, and we learned our lesson last year where we kept thinking maybe, and then couldn't do it. So there weren't, at least for me, I don't know about other race directors, I kept moving along doing things, but it's hard to order a thousand medals when you don't know if you're going to have the race because I have 800 left over from last year because you know, the virtual, that not as many people did it. So we were kind of waiting and now all of a sudden we are having races. We're definitely having races. There, there's no question. We already had um, our bike race. We had a gravel bike race a couple of weeks ago. And that was before things had really changed, before we all heard that now you don't have to wear a mask if you're vaccinated and you don't have to wear one outdoors. But we had it and we had a lot of decisions to make as to what we would require, what could be optional. But we did say you had to wear a mask if you weren't racing. We couldn't have post-race party. We had grab and go bags and we were very anxious about it. And what was amazing, athletes weren't. Everybody did what we were asking them to do. They showed up wearing their masks. Instead of pack and pick up, we had their bags at, a, we put up bike racks for the bike race, like a triathlon, even though it wasn't. And they went to their area, they, they found their bag. So we set up everything to be very simple. It went beautifully. And the things that we missed, I found the athletes really weren't missing. They were enjoying racing and they just found, found a different way 
to enjoy their race and it went great. Moving forward, now that maybe we don't have to require masks, we're finding some people want to wear masks. And I'm sure we're all in different parts of the country, which we talked about at the beginning. And I, I would imagine that you're saying what I'm seeing, even though we don't have to, everybody is. Um, I saw that in Michigan, I'm seeing that in Florida. So we're still just trying to decide what to do. As of now, we are keeping our COVID safety plan because there are enough people who just aren't comfortable yet for various reasons. So we're keeping the plan. Um, we might loosen things a little bit, whereas before when you finish the race, you really needed to get out of there. Maybe now we'll we'll have maybe a little bit more of a little bit of mingling, you know, something, but um, we're just really going to ease back into it and um, just gauge what's working and what's safe and what people want to do. And Kelly, what about from the media standpoint? How has covering races and reporting on athletes changed in the last year and a half or has it? <laughs> I mean, we were making up things to write about last year. Like <laughs> our joke we have saying was if there are no triathlons, are there even triathletes? Like that's the... And I mean, yeah, like, so last year was tough, like tough for sure. And you could tell about three or four weeks ago, just from like traffic and like from what people are interested in that everyone's really excited to get back to racing for sure. We, I mean, St. George obviously is a popular race, but we don't normally like have three people there and like do all this coverage for, right? Like we don't normally go all in for St. George, but it was kind of like the start of the race. I mean, I know there had been other races before, but it was the first big one. I mean, it was arguably too big. Like it was a lot of people, right? Like, so that, um, so we did really like, I think everyone was really excited to get back to it. The thing I've been, I don't know, struggling with isn't the right word, but like, whatever, there's been tension around is like Eva saying, there is very strong feelings. Um, like I, I read the whole Lake Placid proposal this week and, you know, watched the town council meeting because like Placid required that Ironman require vaccine. Like it was a condition of the permit in Lake Placid that Ironman require vaccines, uh, require proof of vaccination. Um, people went crazy. Like people, people went crazy. And like, uh, they, like, so the, yeah, I, they're wrong. Like they're wrong. Like, the, like Iron Man could require whatever they want, like legally, morally, like it's a condition of permit. Like that's just what it is. Um, and you're going to see more of that, but it's really like, you can just tell, like, it's just really hard. Like people have really strong, they just have very, very strong opinions. They just have very, very strong feelings. Um, and that's been like, I think what's just been, I don't know, shittier, tougher than anything is that people is the lack of, like, like, like a uh, tolerance, if that makes sense. Like they're like the fair, they're like, oh, well, I'm never going to race another Ironman event because, because they're requiring vaccines. And you're like, okay. like, And you guys are like the messenger, right? Like don't right. shoot the messenger. We're just <laughs> trying like, to okay. give you the news. <laughs> I something there, you sure. know, what Kelly's saying. So the thing that you know, I keep getting, I, I get emails. When are you going to decide if you're having this race or not? You're like, mm. It's not my decision. It's the decision of the venue, not even the decision of the state. Like right now, Michigan is saying outdoor gatherings can be as large as we want. So, you know, my husband texted me right away. And, yeah, great. Well, guess what? I am not allowed to have them as large as I want. I got a call today from one of the venues saying, you may have heard this, but sit tight. We're, we're deciding. So it's none of it's our decision. We have to follow what the venue asks us to do. 
And some of the venues say you can't even have it. Some say you can only have 100 people. Some, so yeah, but, but all of the participants seem to think we have all the answers and we're making the decisions. And especially as like races come back, not just in Texas and Florida, right? Like as we get races in California, in New York, in places that like have taken this more seriously for the last year, like they're gonna be a lot, like, and those restrictions are gonna last through the fall. Like they're not just over because everyone like feels like they're over now. Like the math and stats don't back that up. So I think people are gonna have to be a comp like understanding for the whole rest of the year. And Sika, what about you? So you've competed in a few in-person races, both in the US, US and Mexico. So have COVID precautions changed where you race, how you prepare for races and that sort of thing? Yeah, um, going to Mexico, that was kind of stressful because traveling, I didn't want to pick up anything. And then even I stayed at an all-inclusive resort. So I pretty much stayed in my room away from people. Um, even the way I raced, that was truly the first time where I had no idea what place I was in. Um, they literally put us six feet apart and we had to wait, I think, 10 or 15 seconds between each person. So like I raced with my friend, Alicia Crawl, and I knew no matter what, she's probably gonna be in the top three to get a pro slot. So, but she started behind me. Like I had no idea where anybody was. I actually didn't even know that I was top three amateur until maybe an hour after the race, after everybody crossed the line and they confirmed the results. So it's definitely different racing now than it has been in the past. You know, with rolling starts, everybody's still like running into the water, rushing in, and you kind of get an idea of where you are place-wise. Um, in order to get back into the US, I had to take a COVID test. Um, even that, figuring that out, if you don't stay at a hotel, it could be up to $200 to get a COVID test done, um, like if you do Airbnb. So if you are gonna travel at racing, I would suggest staying at a resort that where it's included. Um, and even that, like flying back, I'm like, oh my gosh, what if I test positive and then I have to stay in Mexico for two weeks? So you're kind of taking a risk um, traveling outside of the country. But um, yeah, I feel like the races, they're, they're trying to figure things out the best they can. And I kind of want to switch gears here a little bit and ask Kelly, social media seems to have creeped into like every crevice of our lives in recent years. So do you think social media has changed how you and your team cover the sport and also how your audience consumes that reporting? It's an interesting question. Uh, I'm currently over social media. Uh, it does make it so that like you're not i mean half the time you hear an announcement about something because it was on instagram right like that's how we get our news now we get our news from danielle like you know that danielle is doing a race because she posts well i knew that beforehand but she posted on instagram or like you watch a youtube video that's how we're getting all our news now so it becomes like what's the whole thing where like athletes don't need you anymore you know like they have a direct word conduit um so i think that's really interesting i think we're all it makes it so that everyone's kind of on the same playing field obviously I mean, triathlon's a small enough sport. You can follow like all the big names on Instagram and know what's happening in their lives all the time. Um, but I, I think that I, on how people consume it, I think the other thing that people like misjudge is just because something like kind of what we were talking about, like people got super pissed about the vaccination thing on when Lake Placid, like just because people are saying stuff on Facebook or like, and this happens when Sika writes for us, like just because people like blow up on the comments on Facebook doesn't mean that that's what the majority of people think. It's kind of like reviews on Yelp or whatever. Like the only people who are gonna review on Yelp are people who are pissed off or paid, right? And that's what you get on Twitter. Or, like, and so I think I have to like, I mean, 
seek it out my like don't get discouraged speech like i have to talk like and moderate because i think there's like a big misconception that what happens on social media is reality or is how the majority of people yeah, feel i was i was reading the comments i'm like is everybody racist in the u.s <laughs> <laughs> and even if, crazy yeah. people commenting <laughs> and also those people are all from the uk but even if you go in and you like respond to them and you deal with it and you moderate and you deal like anyway i just think that's i think we have a misconception that someone the other day told me like i know my story like the, these stories do really well because they get a lot of feedback on twitter and i was like they don't do well it's just this little twitter bubble that's just your perception so how do you how do you monitor that and how do you like i guess as we're looking toward the future like how do we keep people like sika writing and not getting discouraged is it is it just kelly's magic speech or is there more <laughs> Well, I mean, honestly, like if you have a bigger staff than four people, because we only have four people, you have someone whose job that is like you need in this day and age to have somebody whose job is social engagement, community engagement, social moderation. I mean, community innovator, whatever you guys call it, right? Like you need somebody who that's what they do and they go out and they because if you create a community that that's like the standard, then that's I don't think anyone in the feisty Facebook group is saying terrible things, right? Like I'm assuming that doesn't happen. Probably. Not that I know of, but, uh, <laughs> but Sika, I want to ask you as an athlete, like how much of your time is spent on social media and do you, do you feel pressure to post more frequently and have carefully posed photo shoots or even document your life and your workouts on YouTube? Um, yes, I feel like sometimes I think over the past two days or something, I didn't put anything in my Instagram stories and I'm like, oh my gosh, I haven't done that in two days, you know, or somebody will ask like, is everything okay? I haven't been posting. I'm like, oh, have I not been? I mean, I still work a full-time job, which takes my time anyway. Um, I decided early on, even when I was new to the sport back in 2013, that I was going to blog and put my story out there because I wanted people who thought that they could relate or maybe it would encourage them to try the sport, especially people of color. Um, I wanted my story to be out there. So I decided really early on that I was going to be public about everything. Even my crash is absolutely everything. So it was a conscious decision. Um, I have done things recently like sponsored content and to be honest with you I do get a little embarrassed having to do hashtag sponsored content hashtag ad you know but I mean, it's like, oh, it's a few extra dollars and I'm using the product anyway, so why not? Um, I mean, you got to do that as an athlete. So, well, not that you have to, but I have made the decision to do that. And yes, um, I find myself getting stressed out about stupid things. Like I'll post and I'm like, oh no, I forgot to ha uh, tag this person and that person. And yeah, I mean, media, social media is a little crazy for sure. Or, you know, you'll look and you'll see you know, one day you have followers and the next it's gone down by 10. And it's like, why did they unfollow me? You know? <laughs> so, yeah, but I think it's just, we're at an, uh, an age right now um, where if you're not on social media, you become irrelevant in some ways, which is sad. Or you have to be Daniela or Jan, like that's it. Right? Yeah, like, exactly. Yeah. Whether they post or not. Yeah. It doesn't matter. So. <laughs> Eva, I, I imagine you track how athletes hear about your races. So do you think social media can be useful for getting new athletes to sign up for their first race? I think it is. I think it's tricky, though. And, and interesting, I was just having this conversation yesterday with another race director. Um, just staying on top of it, um, you know, like Kelly said, you have to have somebody who that's their job. 
And at Epic Races, it's not my job because it's too much. I, I can't do it. I don't have time to do that and everything else I need to do. And I personally, I don't really go on social media. So that makes it even trickier for me. But um, ads used to be helpful and I'm finding now they're really not so helpful. I think it's it's putting content out there that people want to see and that content, not necessarily an ad for a race, but something that's useful information, something that you know just catches their eye, they wanna know more and then think, oh, I can do a triathlon. Because you know, it's just seeing, just seeing you know, great content, a story about somebody who did their first try, and, and hearing their story, um, just getting compelling information out there. But there, they just they keep us on our toes, the social media, and you know, it's always switching. We were doing a lot of Facebook, now we need to do more Instagram, and I haven't really figured Twitter out. But, it's um, pointless. Don't worry about it. <laughs> now it's all TikTok. You got to work on your dancing. <laughs> I don't understand Twitter either. I tried to get into it, but I, I'm like, do I just share links and write random stuff? It's solely for arguments, guys, and jokes. That's all you I use actually, Twitter you guys, for. Guys, I like Twitter. I actually, I like it. But, but. Yeah, there's a lot of triathletes, you know. <laughs> I don't know. I like reading uh, Brad Culp because he just says anything, and he's funny to follow. So I follow funny people. <laughs> All it's for, yeah. <laughs> TikTok, I tried once, but I, I got to figure that one out again. And that one I actually tried on my own. I was, I was kind of intrigued. But yeah, got to figure it It's just, it's a lot. It's harder than doing a triathlon, doing all it, that social media. It really is a full-time <laughs> job, that's for sure. Um, Sika, throwing it back to you, we talked about this a bit about how open you were kind of with the world, sharing your journey to professional triathlete. And that is so commendable because as we said, it's not an easy thing to do with the, to share everything with the peanut gallery because people will tell you exactly what they think. Right. So, but I think one of the perks of you doing that probably seems that it, it seemed to bring you a lot of opportunity across a lot of different things from just different like training opportunities to the pacing record attempts to interviews, photo shoots, all that kind of opportunity was presented to you. Right. So can you tell, talk a little bit about kind of like, were you just seizing everything? Do you, you know, like, did you just want to take every opportunity that came your way? You know, are you tired of like taking all of these opportunities and will you focus a little bit differently now as you begin your pro career? Like kind of just what's your outlook on this, like the, the opportunities now that lie ahead and that come to you? Um, right now, yes, I will say that I'm exhausted, but I feel like I'm in a once in a lifetime position and I want to capitalize on it, at least just to get the story out as much as possible. Um, not just for me, but for the reason that I was doing it. And, and I hope my story isn't one just about race or just being a black woman. I hope it's one of like perseverance and not quitting when things get really bad. So I hope it's uh, multi-level and not just one thing. But um, yeah, I, after that race, I've been contacted by just everybody. I mean, ESPN, I mean, it's unreal, but um, yeah, I'm really grateful. And I am learning how to say no to things and prioritizing. Um, I think for anybody's sanity, you have to, you can't just say yes to everything. Um, I mean, there's so many podcasts out there nowadays, so you have to really pick and choose what it is that um, kind of like, is it what's important to you and decide on those things. And then 
Also, somebody, I forgot who gave me this advice. They said, um, when you turn somebody, turn something down, like let's say somebody invites you to be a podcast and you can't do it. Think of somebody who you think, like a friend or somebody who is in a position that could use that media coverage or whatever, suggest them. Say, but I know somebody else who's really good that you know you should contact, here's their information. And then it's you not just saying no, but at least you've got somebody else to kind of fill that slot and maybe they benefit from that too. So I'm trying to, learn how to um, respond and also make it a good opportunity for all of us. Yeah, so I'm still learning and I'm still constantly reaching out and picking people's brains. And I mean, the first time I met Kelly, I'm like, is this normal training twice a day, every day? You know, like, I, I feel like it's like, I didn't know you guys did this. This is insane. So um, yeah, it's important to like ask and not, um, I've talked to other athletes who were in a position where something crazy happened to a race and all of a sudden they were in the spotlight I'm like well how did you handle the attention or you know how do you navigate things with sponsors and stuff like that so I'm still just feeling my way dude you must be so overly I feel bad sometimes when I, I'm always like no let's leave her alone she has like a full-time job <laughs> like no it's always it's always um a compliment and I'm flattered and appreciative because you're not always in that position and especially after my crash I thought everything was over like that was done um so to now be it's kind of like when you're burnt out you you don't feel like racing or you're really nervous you want to drop out of a race and then you end up injured and then you can't do anything and you're like oh great why didn't I appreciate the position that I was in before so um yeah just try to appreciate all of it I guess and Eva, Epic Events includes being eco-friendly in its mission statement, and you aim for zero-waste races. So can you tell us a little bit about how you make a race zero-waste and still make money with that? Uh, I would love to. <laughs> um, so yeah, we really do. We averaged back in 2019 when we put on a lot of races, we averaged under three pounds of landfill waste in each race. Oh, wow. And everything else went to compost or recycling. Um, and we do have um, a person who we have on staff, or we actually, he's not regular staff member, he does it for other races too, but we bring him in to do it. And, um, and he just, he's really taught us how to do it. Sometimes he can't be there and he teaches us how to do it on our own, but it takes a lot of planning. Before the race, we have to go through everything we plan on serving. And we, we do a, a pretty good food spread after our races. And that has evolved because of the effort for zero waste. So we'll meet with him and go through it. And, you know, if we want to have, you know, ice cream bars, he'll say, and are, are they going to have the kind with the popsicle sticks in there? And what are we going to do with the popsicle sticks? You know, every, every little thing we do, our cups, um, you know, it's, it's a tough decision what to do because we have in our warehouse thousands of th and thousands of wax paper cups, you know, like the Gatorade cups or all, you know, the, all the cups of wax, those are very hard to recycle. He's able to take them someplace special. So things that normally like someone couldn't just recycle, he knows where to take it, but it's hard. He'd really rather us use compostable cups. The problem with compostable cups is if it's a hot day, they're made from corn, they melt in the sun. And we've had that where it's like we had all, you know, when you stack all the cups on the cardboard, you know, you've seen that it was like a Salvador Dali painting. They were all like melting and, and coming down. <laughs> so we had to figure that out. So now we use um, 
sometimes we use like a more of like a coffee cup that's just paper, but works. But in our warehouse, we have thousands of you know Gatorade cups that they gave us. So they if they're used, you know, you're gonna have to get rid of them somehow. So we, we work on that, figure it out. Um, and he takes anyone who leaves their bibs around. We we don't just throw those away. He has a, a place where he takes Tyvek to recycle that. Um, and, and just and, and the other thing, everyone, you know, you'll you've seen at a race, there'll be the recycling container out. Well, have you ever walked by and really look at it? Is anything in there going to really be able to be recycled without somebody really picking through everything? Because everyone, they'll look, even when you have, um, like we have these recycling tents where it's compost, landfill, recycling. People look, they look at each one, and then they just throw it wherever they feel like throwing. <laughs> so you need a volunteer standing there telling people, you know, where to, where to put it, you know, or, or we'll take like the actual items that we're serving and take them above, but then still they, they throw where they want. So, so I guess it, it's a lot of, a lot of staff members making sure everything goes in the right spot and um, ahead of time, you know, planning what we're going to be serving and thing, things that you wouldn't even think are going to be a problem. Um, we had a, a yogurt company who was doing promotions. And so they said, Hey, can we come to your race and walk around with a wagon and hand out yogurt? Sure. I didn't see a problem with it. Well, it really threw off the recycling effort. So we were going around collecting all the cups and had to come up with another plan for that. So yeah, it just um, really just being on top of that, composting as much as possible. You know, people think composting means that you have compostable plates, you throw them away and they compost, but that's not really the way that works. You still need to collect them as compost and and put them in a, a compost station. So um, we, we, yeah, we're, we're super proud of the effort. And, you know, you asked, how do we do that and make money? It costs money. It definitely costs money. Um, it costs more money for the, for the proper supplies. It costs money to have more staff. But we feel good about it. And what I, I've been surprised to hear that people will tell me they choose our races because of it. So it, it's nice to hear that. I don't think that's the majority, sort of like, you know, those people who make comments on Facebook and you think, oh, no, everybody is upset about this race or, you know, no, it's a few people. And it's probably like that with our recycling efforts, but we, we like to just feel good about it. And Kelly, when Triathlete Magazine published its list of mo most read stories of 2020 and the most clicks went to an article titled Five Common Errors Triathletes Make During Strength Training. Okay. So do you think that the interest in strength training was pandemic fueled? And have you noticed any new trends indicating what your audience wants to read about in 2021? Uh, well, people click on it. The super secret workout you should be doing. People click on that. Um also that article, yeah, it got picked up by like Apple News. But people do love strength training. People don't understand how to do it. It's one of it and swimming are the things they have the most questions about. Um, and nutrition. So anything you do about strength training, I mean, we do a thing every magazine about like a strength workout. Um because so last year last year we did a lot of like at home stuff and like it did really well. Like people want to know how to swim train at home, how to strength train at home, a lot of indoor cycling. Um what was interesting to me this spring was that we did a lot of like getting back to racing stuff, like COVID protocols, what to expect, like how to get moving again. And people were not, they were like, they were not, they were over it. They don't want to hear about COVID anymore. Don't put COVID in a headline. They won't click on it. 
been interesting. So right now, um, my sense is people just want they just they just want reg- they just want regular tra- they just want triathlon news again, triathlon stories. They want to like forget everything that happened. <laughs> All right. Well, we have uh, figured out how to them. We know that everyone just wants triathlon as normal and. You can't just throw a plate on the ground and it will compost. So um, we've learned so much. All right. Well, I think that's it. Alyssa, did I, did I miss anything? We, we've, we've. Oh, no. no, I think that's it. Thank you all for spending the time with us and always good to catch up and wish you guys all the best as races happen again. You, you're covering them and you're racing in them. So we're excited to see how it all unfolds. Haley, have you ever been jealous of the elite running or cycling groups who are able to get their blood work done super quickly and efficiently because they have a doctor on staff? Yes, I have been jealous. I have a great primary care physician, but I'll admit, sometimes I'm curious about certain blood markers in between my annual doctor visits. Me too, and that's why I'm excited Inside Tracker is here. Inside Tracker is on-demand blood testing. You pick your plan online, schedule your blood draw appointment locally, and get your results within a few days. My favorite part, they don't just give you data, they provide you with nutrition and lifestyle tips too. For a limited time, Inside Tracker is offering our listeners 25% off of their entire store. Just go to insidetracker.com/ironwomen and get started. The Iron Women podcast wants to give a huge shout out to Orca Sportswear for their continued support in 2021. As someone who isn't a natural born swimmer, my choices for swim gear are super important. Orca has me ready to battle for every second I need in the water with the open water, triathlon, and swim run wetsuits. They also have safety buoys, goggles, cold water caps, and booties. You name it, they have it. The code IRONWOMEN15 will get you 15% off, so head to orca.com today and let's get ready to swim in 2021. All right, Haley. Well, we clipped the recording of the panel right before we do the Q&A from the audience. And so if you do want to catch that with some more fun tidbits, then uh, join the Feisty team and you'll get have access to the full recording. Um, and just know that for if you join the Feisty team for future panels and summits and things like that, you might get some little bonus stuff like that. Yeah, you might get to ask questions um, to our wonderful panelists. Like if I, if, if you're ever listening to the podcast and you're like, oh, I wish Haley would have followed up with another question, um, you know, this would have been your chance. So yeah, feistytriathlon.com if you're interested. But again, thank you again to Kelly, Sika, and Eva for such a, a great panel. And just, I loved, you know, I love hearing the different perspectives from, you know, from three women who are very invested in the sport. Yes. And Haley, um, I will, we will be back next week as normal and I will give people the actual down low on how my adventure race went. Um, and we'll catch up more in real time again next week. Bye Alyssa. Until then I will be dot watching and cheering from afar. Have a great, or hopefully you've had a great, uh, a great race adventure race and are recovering. Well, talk to you soon. Bye Haley. You have been listening to the Iron Women podcast hosted by Haley Chura and Alyssa Gadeski. Iron Women is a production of Live Feisty Media and is edited by Lindsay Glassford. Thank you to our sponsors, Noon Hydration, Prevenix, Zelio Skincare, Form Swim Goggles, and Orca Sportswear. You can find all websites and discount codes in our show notes at ironwomenpodcast.com.